If you have a Bible, open to 2 Samuel chapter 22. 2 Samuel. So 2 Samuel is in the Old Testament. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one on the table there for you. Or if you've got a, like a smartphone or any kind of like device uh, that, that has apps, there's a YouVersion Bible app that's really great. It makes it really easy uh, to use as well. But 2 Samuel chapter 22, like Jed said, we've been in this series where we've been looking at the life of this man named David. So David was a real man in the scriptures. And uh, David wrote a collection of songs that you can find in your, in your Bible under uh, the title Psalms, so P-S-A-L-M-S, Psalms. And these were all songs that David wrote about his experience in life and his experience with the Lord. And what I have loved about this, this study and loved about this is there, the things that David experienced are in many ways a lot of the things that we experience. So um, David has been heartbroken and David has been overjoyed. David has felt close to God and David has felt like, God, where are you? And if you've been walking with God or you're even just kind of investigating what it is to know God, um, these are all common experiences um, that we have as humans. And this section that we're going to get into tonight, we're kind of looking at something that David writes towards the end of his life. And, you know, if you remember last week, we, we looked at David's sin against Bathsheba and uh, his, the, the setup of the murder of Bathsheba's uh, husband, Uriah, and just kind of this really awful turn that David's life takes. And, you know, we've seen him in victorious moments. We've seen him in moments of really severe failure like that. Um, and now, so we're kind of kind of getting towards the end of David's life. And so he's looking back, he's reflecting on all these things that he's had and these experiences that he's had. And what we're going to read is a little bit like reading David's journal. And so if you have this man, then God says of this man, he's, he's like a man after my own heart. So that's a pretty particular and unique description of someone. Um, which is why I've always been intrigued by David. And so we're going to get to kind of hear some of his thoughts. He's not dead yet, but he is near the end. And, and we're, this kind of ties a bow on who David is. And there's, there's something that I kind of discovered looking at him is that David had this, this is going to sound odd, but he had this humble confidence. There was a humble confidence about, about David. And what we're going to see tonight is David's kind of working through the tension of all the great things that he's done but how much he's needed God through his entire life. So, so David does reflect and look back. He's like, wow, I've, like, God's really done some pretty incredible things in me and through me, but I couldn't have done any of those things on my own. David's refrain is always, that was a victory for the Lord. That was, a, that was the Lord won that battle. That was the Lord brought me through that. The Lord was faithful to me in that. The Lord forgave me through that. Um, and, and, and I think that really does kind of sum up David as he had this humble confidence about him um, because of his relationship with God. Let me pray real quick, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get into uh, our text tonight. Father, thank you for uh, an opportunity like this. And God, we, we don't want to take this for granted, even though it is a common experience for us, and God, it's so easy relatively for us to just drop in and drop out, and God, we um, really doesn't cost us anything, maybe maybe one night, you know, out or a few hours uh, just a- away, but God, we, we are mindful of those who do not have opportunities like this, and so uh, tonight, I pray that we would approach this time, um, God, with with thanksgiving and really be grateful and God, hearts full of gratitude for having access to your word, the written word, God, having a moment for us to gather together and God, um, you being here in our midst. And so God, I, I am asking tonight, God, that we would have um, 
hearts of thanksgiving, but God, also hearts of awareness of who you are. So God, would you bring um, just revelation tonight? And God, would you bring clarity tonight about who you are, um, God, and, and who we are in you? And so that doesn't depend on me and my power and my strength or my ability, but Holy Spirit, that fully depends on you. So God, I just want to lean into you and to your power. And so would you work tonight? And uh, I pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Second Samuel chapter 22, we'll start with verse 1. Go to verse 6. And David sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, the Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He's my stronghold and my refuge and my savior. From violent people you save me. He says in verse 4, I called to the Lord who's worthy of praise and have been saved from my enemies. The waves of death swirled about me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. So again, David's looking back. He's looking at all these moments where he should have died. Um, He's looking at all these moments where he's on the run, when it looked like there was no way out, but yet he's able to say, you, God, you've been my stronghold. You've you've brought victory. Uh, And the formula for David has been and is, I'm in distress, and God, I call out to you. It always came down to David calling out and God hearing, God answering him. Look at verse 7. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. The earth trembled and quaked. The foundations of the heavens shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He's talking about just the majesty, the grandeur, the glory, the bigness, the awesomeness of God. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, bolts of lightning blazed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed, and the foundations of the earth laid bare. At the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of breath from his nostrils, he reached down from on high and he took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. So it's very clear that in David's life, even though he's a valiant warrior, and we've seen how David is a a warrior as we looked at these different stories of life, God is always the one who does the delivering. It's God who always gets the glory and the credit for the power in these battles. David did some pretty incredible things, and he was a part of some pretty amazing military victories. But the credit always goes to the Lord. I think that's really the secret of the uniqueness of David's life. He's, he always knows where the true credit goes for the things that happen in his life, these, these victories that happen in his life. Look at verse, look at verse 20. He says this, he brought me out into a spacious place, and, and B is, I think, really the key for David. This, this key, what he says in verse 20, he rescued me because he, what's that next phrase? Because he delighted in me. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Skip, skip down to verse 28. He says, you save the humble 
but your eyes are on the, ha- the howdy to bring them low. He says, you deliver the humble people, but the prideful people, you bring them down. Verse, verse 30, with your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. He says, for you, I can run against a troop. I can run against the, the armies, and, and, and by God, I can, I can leap over a wall. So if you put kind of all those things that we read in that passage together, you, you have David. He, first and foremost, has a unique revelation that God delights in him. I, I think that really is the thing that gets David through the, these high point moments in his life and these low point moments in his life, that he really does believe that God delights in him. Even after his failures, he believes that God delights in him. And, and, and it's, if we go back to where we first met David, this teenage boy, shepherd boy, sitting on the hillside, writing these love songs to Jesus, not trying to get discovered for his music, not trying to get, you know, he's not, not necessarily like ambitious to be upward uh, mobile or anything like that. It's just him and his instrument and the sheep and the songs and his heart before God. And that, in essence, is just the, the kind of the purest moment, the purest part of, da- uh, of David. He's just absolutely convinced that God sings over him, the scripture tells us that, and, and took pleasure in him. And he wasn't just delighted in God. We, we see that from the different things that David has written in, in his life through the Psalms. That yes, he delights in God, but he's absolutely convinced that God delights in him too. Uh, now David's lived long enough and he's made enough mistakes to know that God's not pleased with everything that David has done. Just like in your life, in my life, God's not pleased with everything that we have done. But he delights in his children. And, and I think... One of the reasons that David can do things that no one else can do is because David gets what nobody else gets, that God delights in him. Why can I go out and slay the giant? Why do I have these victorious moments? Why do I seem to have this favor with people? Why do I seem to have this influence? Because God delights in me. That was David's response. That was David's stance. And this wasn't just lip service for David. David was committed to that reality. And that reality drove his, his life. And, and I know it can sound kind of narcissistic, like, okay, David thinks, like, he's pretty special, that, like, he's got, like, a connection to God that nobody else seems to have. But in verse 28, it tells me that knowing God delights in me, that's not a lack of humility. I really do think that David is a humble person because humility is not just this, oh, I'm no good or all shucks or I'm not this or I'm not. It's not just thinking less of yourself. It's about thinking it's thinking about yourself less. And, and, and I really do believe David is a, is a humble person. He knows that God delivered him in his instances because he knows that God loved him. He, he's not, and David's not just being bashful. He, he, he can say authentically, God brings down the proud because David's had moments where he's been prideful and he's been brought low and he delivers the humble. And when God uses you, it's okay to acknowledge that. God, if God's given you gifts and, and abilities and talents and passion and opportunity, it's okay to acknowledge that, okay, God delights in me. God's given me opportunity. God's given me something to do. But like any other time that you're given a gift, how, how do you respond? We, we go through this with our kids all the time. Somebody gives them something, what do I say? I say to them, what do you say, Evie? What do you say, Sai? Thank you. 
It's a perfectly normal response. You're like, yeah, God has given me this incredible opportunity. God's given me ability and talent and position and, and all these things. So my response is to be, thank you. God, you're a good God. You give good gifts. You give good things that I enjoy. Thank you. That's the response. David gets that, and so David lives his life that way. That's how you respond when God allows you to do something that you're able to do. I think the unique thing about David is that David never believes that all these great things that he does comes from a goodness that's inside of him. When there's a victory in the battle, David is the first one to say, the Lord's the one who delivered them into my hands. For for David, there's no disconnect between being humble and saying, I am the person that God delights in and uses. Do you see see this this connection here? A lot of times, I think we're afraid to acknowledge that. Because it makes us sound like we're not being humble. But, but David had this, he had this kind of, he held both intention. In David was a humble person, but at the same time was not afraid to say, God, you love me. You love me with a particular love. You care for me in a particular way. You're, you're with me. You fight for me. Um, he knows, he knows, I don't know, David knows, I don't always get it right. But the whole thought for David is that God delights in me. You deliver the humble, you bring down the prideful, and then he says in verse 30, and I can crush an army and I can leap over a wall. I think, and I've, I've shared this with Jed before, and um, he, he didn't tell me to not say it, so I'm going to say it again. But I think David lives at this intersection of, of hip-hop and bluegrass country. So are you familiar with these two musical styles? So like bluegrass country is kind of like this I'm a scoundrel, I'm low down, I'm no good, you know, like I'm a bad man, all that kind of stuff. You can tell I don't listen to a lot of bluegrass country, okay, right? And most of the Psalms kind of have that flavor, right? So David writes things like, God, you've abandoned me, my, my enemy prospers, and I don't. There are these kind of like really gritty, kind of dark moments in the Psalms. Um, but David can also do the hip-hop thing well, too. So, like, hip-hop is, okay, I'm better than you. My car's better than you. My posse's better than you. I don't know if people still say posse, but when I listen to hip-hop, they did. My watch is better than you. Like, right, that's hip-hop. Like, it's all kind of better. And, and if you look at David's life, there's moments where, like, David's life kind of looks like a hip-hop music video. And so he has this blend of these kind of bluegrass country, gritty, no good kind of feelings, but then also, like, these hip-hop, like, I can, I can run against a troop. I can jump over a wall, right? So he has this kind of confidence, and he's both, because over and over again, David, if, especially if you look through the Psalms and you, and you look through his, his songs, and you really should, you see that he's really honest about how broken his life is, which should be, for us, a great deal of freedom. I, I think the tendency for us sometimes is to feel like we can't be authentic, like, we can't act like humans, especially when we come to something like a church or we get around other, like, church people. We have to kind of think, like, no, everything's good. I'm all put together. It's all good. And one of the things that I've always loved about 710 is I've always felt like it's been a community or at least an environment or a gathering where people can come and be 100% authentic and real. And there, and there are people in the room tonight who are like, man, you're here because you cannot wait to sing the songs. You cannot wait to open the word. You cannot wait to just kind of dive into all the things we do here. There's other people, you just come because you're like, I, I literally have nothing else to do. I couldn't get Taylor Swift tickets. Um, and I know we're all sad. Sorry. Um, you know, and you're like, I'm just here. Maybe I'll meet somebody. You know, I'm just kind of here because I want to go out with for tacos after or later. And, and you know what? This is a place 
Or you can be completely real and authentic with that. Because we have examples like David. He's, he's honest about how broken his life is. He's, he's honest about how much he screwed up. And then he can say in the same kind of thing. He's like, because God is with me, loves me, and is for me, I can leap over a wall. Like he has this perfect kind of blend. He celebrates. He knows that by God's grace that he can do great stuff. I, I, I think it's awesome that David writes this as an old man because he's not writing this as like a 20, 21-year-old kid. He's writing this as someone who's lived his whole life and who has experienced all these things. He's convinced, he's absolutely convinced of the greatness of God. He's lived long enough to know that how weak and fragile he is and how powerful God is at the same time. He's experienced all those things. And when you become fully aware, fully aware of just how weak you are and fully convinced of how great God is, that is the sweet spot of the Christian life. And unfortunately for you, um, it very rarely happens in a, your younger stages of life. It it. it, it Quite honestly, it, it takes some life for you to get there. It, it takes some failures for you. I'm not advocating that you go out and try to make a train wreck of your life, but it, it does. It takes some failures. It, there, you have to be kind of knocked down a few times to realize, like, oh, I'm not, I'm not invincible. I, I am capable of ruining some things. I am capable of massive failure. Which, and, and so David's experienced those things, and he's experienced God's greatness, a, a God who literally pulls him from the pit. And so he, right now, as he's writing this, as a, as a man who's nearing the end of his life, he's just, he's spilling his guts about his experience with God. And that is the person that God is close to. The person who realizes how weak and frail and broken they are, but yet at the very same time, how great and good God is towards them. And how he's my fortress, he's, he, he's my stronghold. He brings victory. I feel like a failure all the time. But God, I'm victorious in you. Like, how do we put those things together? And David, David's, like, David's like, that is the person that God is close to. That's, that's a person who God honestly is going to work in you in a combustible way when you get to that place. I've got, I am on my own. I'm broken and I'm a failure. But in you and because of you, I am more than a conqueror, Scripture says, Right? And, and it's not just that, God, you are so great. David knew that. David writes lights of, lots of songs. David writes like lots of songs um, about how great God is, but that this great God delights in you. That, that's the kind of revelation that makes a person dangerous in the kingdom of God. There's a place for, for grace in the, in, in the hip-hop of what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And I, I think the Apostle Paul, if you, if you look at what the Apostle Paul wrote, he feels this very same way. Because you go to the book of Romans in verse 6 and 7, and I love that those chapters are in the Bible. Because those chapters so closely describe my experience as a follower of Jesus. All the things that I want to do, I don't feel like I can ever do them. Yet all the things that I don't want to do, they seem to be the things I'm always doing. Am I the only person who experiences that? And so Paul writes all this stuff out, verses 6 and 7. And then he gets to Romans 8. And he talks about his struggle with sin. He talks about the wrestling match that ended. And then Romans 8 comes in the end of Romans 8. And he just blows the doors things. And he just says, what? What can separate me from God? 
When I want to do right, I can't seem to do it. When I don't want to fail, I seem to fail. But what can separate me? What what can, can separate me from the love of God? Who can be against me? How does somebody go from those feelings? How does somebody go from, "Ah, I just cannot win, to I am more than a conqueror? How does that happen? You understand what David understands, that God, you are great, and you delight in me. God, you can do anything. You're the God of immeasurably, immeasurably more, and you delight in me. I, I, I love that. I, I've shared in here kind of a story I had with like a wilderness season in my life, a real season of doubt and in many ways just kind of despair and how God, I think, kind of answered and brought me through that. And since that moment, um, I have tried to pray a, a consistent prayer almost every morning. Um, and, and it's that, God, I need to hear that you love me. And God, I need to hear that you're for me. Now, that might sound lame to some of you. That might, might make you sound like, Who, what is wrong with this guy? <laughs> like, that might sound weak to you. But I'm telling you, I have to hear from God that he loves me and that he's proud of me, that he's for me. Because if I don't hear that from God, I'll try to hear it from someone else. Or I'll try to find it somewhere else. I'll try to hear it from someone else. Maybe I'll like, I'll exaggerate a story so you like me more, or I'll try to do something that makes you like me more, or, or, or I won't be my true self in front of you, um, or if I don't get the type of love from you that I need, or I don't get the type of kind of acceptance or approval, or I don't feel like you're for me, I'll, I'll be anxious and I won't sh- be able to show up as kind of my real self with you. Do you, un- do you understand? Like Those are things that I, I need to hear. And the great thing about God is those are things that God loves to say. Those are things that God loves to speak over his kids. That he loves them and that he's for them. And the sweet spot is when you say, God, I know that nothing can separate me from, from that. Now imagine, imagine your day. Maybe you're more mature than I am. That's a really high possibility, actually. But imagine your, imagine your day and your life if you were convinced, you were 100% convinced, rock solid convinced that your belovedness was never at risk. How, how, would, you, how would you feel? I, I mean, not everybody in the room is married, but when I feel like my wife is like for me, like she's got my back, I mean, I feel like pull open the shirt and there's a big like S on my chest, like, I can do anything. I, I, that, I, it's, it's, it's amazing. There, when I first moved here, I got invited to teach this uh, junior high winter camp. And it was like the first time that I'd ever been invited to teach at a camp. And I was really early on and kind of like in teaching in general. And I just felt like, gosh, I, I don't know. I don't think I should be doing this. And I was really nervous. You know, I get really kind of anxious around junior high kids anyway because they're all taller than me. And... Uh, <laughs> And I just felt like, man, I really don't have anything to say. And I just, I, I was being really insecure about it and really kind of weak about the whole thing. Just didn't feel it. And when I um, had unpacked my bag, when I got to my room at the camp, my wife had slid uh, a note in there. And uh, the note just said, nobody else can teach this camp better than you because you are the person that God put there. 
I believe you in you, I'm for you, and I love you. I mean, I'm sure those messages were garbage, but I felt like I, I was like the greatest preacher in the world there. Now, that's human to human. My wife's amazing. I love her, right? But that's human to human. Now, imagine the God of the universe says over you, nobody can do what I have given you to do better than you because I put you there and I'm for you and I love you. Imagine your day, imagine your life if you went through fully convinced that you were deeply loved, deeply supported and accepted by your heavenly father, that your belovedness was never at, at risk, that, that, that God's love for you, what if, what if you could believe in spite of your failure, in spite of your wandering, in spite of your doubt, in spite of your anxiety, in spite of your fear, what if you could believe in, without any doubt at all that God's love for you was never at risk? How, how different would you be in the, in the world? How, how different would you approach relationships, your job, ministry opportunities, caring for the vulnerable, caring for the difficult people, forgiving the person that you refuse to forgive? How, how, how would, would that affect your just anxieties and fears and, and anger in, in, in life? How would I be, how would I show up in the world in places of anxiety and fear and failure if I felt safe and loved and secure in Christ? Like physically, how would I be? Emotionally, how would I be? And, and, and now, I know we're in like a church thing or whatever, so don't try to think like a church person. Don't try to answer like, like we're in a Bible study. Try to think like a, try to think like a child because that's, how God, that's what God says about us. He says, you're, you're my kids. You're a son. You're a, you're a daughter. So try to, think, try to think like that. Like, okay, if I just, if I think as a kid, and I mean, I've got, I've got three little kids, and right now, the, the number one thing that they want to hear from me is that I love them, and that I'm proud of them, and that I'm for them. And so you, as a kid, and you think, okay, what's the number one thing that I want to hear? I want, that, what do I want to hear from my father? And maybe your picture of father is all jacked up, and I, that sucks, and I hate that. I absolutely hate that. But the your heavenly father is a perfect father, right? He knows exactly what you need to hear. He knows exactly what, 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 what it is that you need. What is it that you would want to hear from him? That there is something so unique and freeing about knowing that you're not great, but you are fully convinced of the greatness of God, which allows you to be fully confident and secure in him. Just the other day, somebody had asked me, um, what, was the, what was the thing in ministry that I was least proud of. And um, I, I, th I think it was this, that, that I, I spent so much time, especially in the kind of early days, just really being insecure about kind of who I was. And this constant need for acceptance, this constant need for approval, this constant need to just, I, I was just always kind of like afraid, well, what if what if they just walk in here and fire me? Or what if I don't do this enough? Or what if this is not this? Or what if this looks like failure? Or what if this is bad? Or what if they find out about this? Or what if, you know, what if they kind of treat me like that? It was all these different things. It was just such garbage. Ben, who's playing guitar for us tonight, actually worked alongside me in the kind of early days. And I think it was just absolutely miserable um, for him because I was just always kind of wrestling. And it just, it wears people out. If you've ever been around somebody who's like that, that is a miserable experience to be with somebody like that. They're, they're, they're like a black hole. 
like a, a, that's always kind of like sucking in and you're like, no, no, you're good, you're pretty, you're this, you're funny, you're that. And the whole time you're like, ugh, right? And it's never enough. It's, it's never enough. And I, and I spent so many kind of, I spent so much time in the early days and I, and I missed out um, and, and wasn't able to appreciate the goodness of God in my life. And it, and it clouded my ability to know that God speaks over me and delights in me and is for me. Because, again, I wasn't listening to hear that from him. I was listening to hear it from everybody else. And David, we, we kind of have moments where we've seen him. When we look at him with Bathsheba, he's obviously not listening to the voice of God in his life. He's listening to the voice of all the people around him. But at the end of his life, he can clearly look back and be like, that was a moment of huge failure because I, I forgot. I forgot what's most important. And I listened to another voice. And so he's coming back there. And when I think about the things that are most proud, that I'm most proud of in, in a ministry life, I think of like a couple Sundays ago when we had these baptism Sundays. And I know some of you in your room actually got baptized, which is amazing. And I'm able to either, yeah, you can clap for that. Yeah. Um, you know, and I have these kind of places where I can sit back and I look at these stories and I was like, I, I literally had nothing to do with that story uh, except I just kind of propped up in a place and was a very, very, very small like pixel in the giant picture of what that story is. Um, and I love that I get to just sit courtside and see what God is doing and see that all kind of happen. Those are the moments that I'm the most proud of. Um, now, we do have to be careful here as we look, and we're, we're just about done here, because just because God delights in me doesn't mean that everything that I do, God has his stamp of approval on. Because there's things in David's life that are clearly sin. And so if you walk out of here and you're tonight, you're like, God delights in me. He's for me. I can do whatever it is that I want. That is not the message. And David experiences the consequences of thinking like that. And, and, and um, confidence is very dangerous when that confidence is set in ourselves. So the confidence for David was not... Was not set in himself, it was set in God. And when we walk through life and our confidence is set in us, that's a really dangerous place to be. That's a perfect setup for colossal failure. First Samuel 22, is David just recounting that God delivering because he's very aware that this is the work of God, the grace of God, the power of God. It's not about David, just like it's not about you or me. And it's, it's not meant to convince us that we're not broken or that we're better than we are. In fact, we are worse than we realize. But when we become convinced that God is exponentially greater, that God is more merciful, that God is more good towards us, that he's more kind, he's more loving, he's more gracious, he's more faithful, that unique blend is where God wants us. And, and, and when we acknowledge our brokenness, when we acknowledge our, our bluegrassness, right, um, and at the same time our kind of hip-hop confidence, I'm really stretching this illustration, and it's not latching on, so that's great, um, but when we really kind of have this marriage of like, yes, I am broken, but God, you do immeasurably, immeasurably more. I am more than a conqueror in you. That really is, that's a, that is a moment of worship. We, we didn't talk about this story, but I want you to go back and kind of look at it. But there's a moment where David, he literally dances for like 10 miles home, worshiping home. And he gets home and his wife's like, you're acting like an idiot. And he's like, I'm just getting warmed up, baby. There is so much more than where this came from. Um, and he's like, and if this is what it is to be undignified, he's like, I will be so much more undignified because of who God is. And, I, and it's okay. It is okay to be like that. 
I mean, you can, you can talk to Jed. He's probably worked with me the longest here. Uh, I, I am a way more fun person to be around than when I was earlier because I think God just took me through this. He did, he did the really hard work in my life of showing me how little of a deal I actually am. And, I, man, some of you will listen to this and some of you, you just won't. But I hope you all do. If you are spending your life right now to convince yourself and to convince others that you are a big deal, you are burying yourself in your own grave and you are burying everyone around you. And if you want to find life, if you want to find true life, like joy, satisfaction in life, listen to the, uh, listen to the awareness that the Spirit of God brings to tell you, like, look, you are not that big of a deal. But I, your heavenly father, I really am. And I love you like crazy. And if you, if you can live in that sweet spot, that's a place of worship, it's a place of joy, it's a place of satisfaction. But the more you extend energy to prove to yourself and to prove to everyone around you that you are a big deal, you are crushing yourself one day at a time. Um, we, we see this, and we've always, I've tried to kind of always connect the life of David um, to a true and better David who is, who is Jesus. In, in Matthew chapter 9, um, there's the story where Jesus heals this paralyzed man. And Jesus, I mean, as much as David embodied that God delighted over him, um, Jesus embodied it in a truer and better way. Jesus knew from his father how beloved he was. And he says, he's like, I don't do anything unless my father tells me to do it. Uh, he, he was so com- connected in, in, to his father. He was, he's the, the most non-anxious human to ever walk earth. And so when there were praises that were heaped on Jesus, it didn't sway him towards the people. Um, when the haters came, and the haters always came, it didn't discourage Jesus. He just knew he, who he was, and he knew he, what he was supposed to do, and he knew most of all that his father delighted over him. And in Matthew chapter 9, there's a story that kind of illustrates this. He comes across this man who's a paralyzed man, and Jesus sees this man, and he says to him, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. And then there were these teachers of the law, these kind of Pharisees and and they were always against David, and they were always, or excuse me, always against Jesus, and they were always kind of speaking out of him. And they said to him, they said, this fellow is blaspheming. In other words, this, this, this guy, is, what, what is he doing? Um, knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man got up, picked up his mat, and went home. That's like a New Testament mic drop there, Jesus. And when the crowd saw this, they're filled with awe, and they praise God who had given such authority to man. So, and then if you look at the death of Jesus, he's there, he's hanging naked, publicly executed, ridiculed and disgraced in the most ultimate way. He, 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 in, the, in the midst of this garbage heap between two convicted murderers, while his friends all run for cover, the whole time, the whole time, Jesus has infinite power. 
he's got the most ultimate army as his, at his disposal. He said, if I wanted to, I call down angels. They wipe everybody out. But instead of calling for them, he calls out for our forgiveness. And Hebrews gives us insight into that. And it says, the reason that he endured that, he said, we fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. So Jesus in that moment is, is, sees a joy that, sets bef- that is set before him, knows a delight over the Father over him, and in that moment is able to withstand the ridicule and the pain and the, and the suffering. What I think the most important thing, if we had to kind of sum up what we learn about David, what we see in the person of Jesus, is that God, God loves you. And, and it's not just that he tolerates you. You know, sometimes we have people in our life who are like, yeah, I love them. You know, they're kind of quirky or they're a little weird. They're a little needy, <laughs> you know, but, you know, I love them. That's kind of how we think about it. That is not God's stance towards you at all. He, he loves you. He wants to be with you. Um, it's, the, it's, the, it's the father that loves to be with his kids. And your name brings delight to the heart of the father. I want to do something kind of just quickly as we end here. If you turn to Psalm 139. So this is a song that's written by David, Psalm 139. Um, and I, I have kind of an exercise that I want us to do, and then the guys are going to come and close this in a, in a, in a time of worship. Um, if you've never heard this this psalm before, the song before, it's it's a really beautiful song. It's a, it's a really incredible idea. Um, let, me, let me just kind of read it to you. David says this. He's like, you've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word's on my tongue, you, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. David says, it is, it's such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty for me to attain. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my dead in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be, nar- we not be dark to you. And the night will shine like day for darkness is as light to you. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. David says, you've known me before I existed. You know what will be my last breath, when it will be. And you know every single minute detail of my life in between there. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I am awake, I'm still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are rebelling against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Then verse 23. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thought. 
and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in a way everlasting. Now, we can just read that and think, man, that's, a, that's great. That's a cool psalm. That's a great idea. That makes me feel good, you know, kind of thing. Here's what I want you to do, kind of around tables, and then we're going to sing. I want you to pray this psalm. And I want you to pray it in a very personal way. So if I was going to pray this psalm, Okay, this is going to sound weird because I'm going to talk in the third person here, right? Okay, but verse one, you've searched Paul, Lord, and you know Paul. You know when Paul sits and when Paul rises up. You perceive Paul's thoughts. You are familiar with all of Paul's ways. (laughs) So it sounds weird. But I want you to pray just kind of thinking through, like, and take this psalm, And if there's something in that psalm that kind of just stands out to you, and we're just going to take just a few minutes around the tables here. But just pray those verses. And maybe you're just praying like, God, I just, I thank you that you know everything about me. Maybe verse, maybe verse 23. Maybe that's a verse you need to pray. God, just search me. Um, There's things in my heart that I'm anxious about, but you know them. Test my, test my thoughts. Um, Take that. Make it, make it personal because God loves you in a personal and specific way. So why would you not worship and thank God in a personal and specific way? Um, and then we're going we're gonna to close with some songs like we do. Um, there, there's a song we're singing tonight, and I, I feel like I need to explain it just a little bit because it, it's not, um, the language is not like language that we would use a lot. That's like kind of a normal language. So, um, but, but it's talking about, talking about new wine. And in the, in the scriptures, new wine was a, was a picture of um, the Holy Spirit. Um, and it was a picture of things that, that God was bringing, of what God was doing. Um, and wine shows up in a lot of different places in the scriptures. Mostly it's, it shows up in places of celebration. And what this song in particular is talking about is that there, is, there are pressing and there are crushing moments in our life. And it, this song, in many ways, is a prayer that God would use those moments to produce something new that satisfies and something new that reminds me of the delight that I have in God. All of those things come in the person of the Holy Spirit. But if you're in a moment of your life, and maybe, maybe you're going into or maybe you're coming out of or maybe you're right in the middle of something that feels like this is pressing, this is crushing, I feel like I'm being squeezed. I, I, I feel like I'm being stomped. God, out of it, don't waste it. Create this, create this new wine. Create this delight in you. Create this satisfaction in you. And there's a part of the song where it says, I'm, I'm, just, I'm offering myself. I'm offering myself as a vessel to be used by you. So even in the midst of this difficulty, God, I'm trusting you that you're going to do something good in it. And I'm, and I'm getting back on the altar. I'm, I'm, I'm giving my life again. Um, and, I, and I think it really is an incredible picture of what we see in David's life. Because David had these pressing moments. David had these crushing moments. But yet, at the end of his life, we see that, God, I, my satisfaction, my delight is found only in you.